Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Chapter 2 of 2 Timothy answers the question of how are we going to conduct public worship? And it's going to start off with prayer. And one of the things that is easy for us to do as Christians is to settle in and comfortably enjoy God's grace. I mean, we're saved by grace. There's immense enjoyment in that. But I would like to take some time right now to reflect upon this thought. We have a responsibility towards those who are unreached and haven't received the grace that we so comfortably enjoy. And if we get comfortable in enjoying the grace that we have, we will forget that there's an unreached world that doesn't have that enjoyment. So that's number one. I'm going to look at that through prayer tonight. Number two, uh, we will look at uh, toward the middle of the chapter, women in the church. This is not a hard doctrine or a hard chapter to preach. Um, Brother Roloff said he had a lot of one-liners. One of them was, he says, you don't need to have a lot of brains to preach this. You need, just need to have some guts. And, and there's some truth to that. Now, it's important to understand, and we'll get into this more, that women do play an immense role in the local church. Ladies, you have a responsibility to the Lord and to, uh, to his church to be active as much as the Lord would allow you to. You do, believe it or not, you do set the tone of the church house. And it's a blessing, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. Somebody, Somebody is, is pastoring a, ma- a modern-day 1 Corinthians church somewhere in America. Somebody's pastoring a church like that. That's a, that's a New Testament church. They had a bunch of problems. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have ladies who want to serve the Lord, have a sweet spirit, have a sweet attitude. It's a blessing to be involved in that. That sets a lot of that's a lot of teaching by example and it's a comforting uh, spirit it's a sweet spirit that kind of buzzes around a church house when that is there Um, and we'll get into more of this but this is how the chapter is broken down through prayer and then women in the church Uh, women may start off doing things with the right intentions, which, by the way, sometimes us men do. But God does put the tag, we're it, men, as far as leading and as far as having the authority. Get into that when we get uh, when we get to uh, the middle of the chapter. But we don't want to start off with right intentions and have them go south. And so there's some charges to women that we'll get into. And that's why God put this in the Bible. So that we can learn from it. But tonight we're looking at verse number one. And the first 
two words. The Bible says, I exhort. That's to advise. Exhorting is arguing for a certain course of action. That's what it means to exhort. And it could also mean to encourage. You can uh, argue for some encouragement or uh, just go ahead and, and advise in that way. You can kind of get a sense if you've been saved any length of time. Uh, maybe I need to encourage here rather than advise. Then it says, therefore, it says, I exhort, therefore, in other words, everything that we learned in chapter one, now it's I exhort, therefore. It refers back when you see that word to what was previously stated, chapter number one. I exhort, therefore, that first of all. So before we get started, um, Paul, under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, is going to lay some ground rules. And here they come. We look at now the different parts of prayer. Prayer, you can say generally, or you can draw the lens back and say prayer is communion with God. It's fellowship with our Lord. And there's four types that are discussed here. What does it say? Supplications. That's one type of prayer. Right in there. Next it says prayers. Generally just prayers. Intercessions. And giving of thanks. Now I want you to go back to Psalms 42. And I want to look at something here. Psalms chapter number 42. Because we're going to go through the four types of prayers listed here. Psalms 42 is a beautiful psalm. Verse number one says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now, if you're a soldier and you're out in the sun all day, You're guarding, and you're guarding against an enemy who just knocked out your water supply. That's a bad deal for a soldier to be into. Are you a soldier for Christ? Ladies, are you soldierettes for Christ? Okay. Let me tell you how the enemy is going to knock out your water supply. He's going to get you to not pray. And you know what this psalm says? As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. You know what that is? That's a deer out, and it's sun and no rain. And it's just panting. It's looking for water. If you're a soldier for Christ, you better not walk around without prayer. Because that enemy wants to knock out your water supply. Don't, don't allow that to happen. Bible is real clear about prayers. We're going to see this, this evening. question I would oppose to you is this. Do you, tonight, currently and presently, do you thirst for God? 
I'm not talking about, I just got a real, I'm not talking about going to the water fountain and just kind of wetting your whistle. I'm talking about, do you, do I, do we as a church body and a team, a, 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 uh, we're soldiers and soldierettes for Christ. Do we thirst for God? I want us to. I want to. Or is our life filled with stress, doubt, and worry? The enemy wants you to default to, here's something to stress about. Here's something to worry about. Here's something for doubt. You'll put it in your mind. Friendships may dry up. That's what the enemy wants. Do you thirst for God in prayer? Worldly pleasures, amusements, sports could turn into drilling drying the well up where you've got no time to commune and fellowship with God. Those things we just mentioned could be your biggest foe. It could be your biggest enemy. Standing in the way of you thirsting for God and really walking closer to the Lord. Don't misunderstand. This isn't a sermon. And it's not my intention to try to convince you that having uh, some amusement is wrong or having some uh, fun is wrong. Uh, our children enjoy shooting sports. They enjoy combatives and learning from some self-defense. And, and I'm sure your children have different uh, activities they're involved in, maybe music, maybe soccer, maybe some different activities. Don't misunderstand, none of that is sinful in and of itself. But if it causes you to dry up from thirsting from God, the basketball might need to go. <laughs> okay? The gym membership might need to go. Okay? Karate class might need to go. <laughs> you say, is it sinful? It's not sinful in and of itself. But anything that causes you to lose fellowship with God and thirst more for the things of the world and less for the things of God, we need to start taking a look at that. I can share some, by way of testimony, I dedicated my life to many things in the world that weren't sinful. But the more successful I got, the more I realized that comes with a price. Do you know that nobody becomes a world champion by just showing up and walking onto the podium? <laughs> oh, I'm here. Make way. And they step on the podium and, and everybody self celebrates it. You know, that's not the way it works. There's a sacrifice that's behind that of time, of money, of relationships. Before you go head first into something, you might want to test your palate and see if you still thirst for God. Uh, you know anything can get somebody out of church. 
and any reason will do to get you out of church. Well, you know, we're still saved. Wherever two or three are gathered, you know, we'll just understand it. I've said it. You picking up what God's putting down? You've said it. If not, you've thought it. I don't know of any Christian who hasn't at least thought it. The only way to truly live as pilgrims is by communing with God through prayer. An individual Christian who is not praying. We'll talk about this on Sunday. But they are not in danger of losing their salvation. They're not. They're in danger of losing fellowship with the most important person in the entire universe, their creator and savior. That's what you risk losing. And if none of us are praying, we're going to lose fellowship, not only with our God, but with each other. You know, people that pray for their preacher are less likely to leave their local church. You know, people that pray for each individual church member are less likely to leave their local church. You know, people that pray for their church are more likely to give to their church. And preachers have said to me before, here's how people leave, they stop giving. I've said this before. Oh no, that's not the first thing that goes. First thing that goes, pray. People stop praying. I'm not trying to brag and I'm not trying to get pity. I'm just trying to state, as a matter of fact, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm not saying I'm consistent on doing it every morning. But I'm typically up between five and between five and six thirty. If I sleep till seven, I've slept in. Now, your schedule may be different. I'm not trying to, all I'm saying is I'm up. And the first thing I do in the morning, you can rebuke me if you think I have it backwards, but I hit start on the coffee machine and the coffee goes into the cup. And then I walk down the stairs and I've got a Bible and I start praying and studying and writing and praying everybody comes over my mind. Because I have a responsibility as a preacher to look after the saints that God has given me to look after. And pray. You say, well, why would I rebuke you out of that? Because typically the shirt says, you know, Jesus, then coffee. I did the coffee first and then walked out. So I'm not trying to be worldly. It just, it just makes the trip easier. Now, you don't have to do it that way, in that order at that time. But I will submit to you this evening, you must do it. You, mu you must find a time that works for you. You must find a posture that works for you, whether it's sitting or kneeling or lying down or whatever, whatever it is, you have got to do it as well. And if we all pray, we'll all be stronger Go to First Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two, verse number eleven. 
Bible says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. You are a stranger in this world. Don't get comfortable. You are a pilgrim in this world because you have a destination that you're heading toward. And then it says, with that in mind, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. The only way to outweigh the importance that we put on fleshly lusts or worldly amusements, folks, the only way to outweigh that is to do something with the sermons you hear and the passages of scripture that you read and the advice and counsel that we get from other Christians and put the thing to prayer. You've got a war going on and you have got to put that thing to prayer. You get a young boy and he picks the violin up for the first time and he tries to get one sound note. It's not, it's not going to be a steady note. It's going to be real difficult for him to produce. But you get somebody trained on the violin, he can make that thing sing and well. I mean, it'll sound beautiful. How do you think he got to that point? Yet hundreds and thousands of so-called Christians will pour their life into throwing a football. Hours and hours of practice of running plays and getting good and all of this. But they won't put the same practice into prayer. The battle's won on the knees. The battle's won through prayer. That's going to make your witness better. That's going to keep your heart right. That's going to keep the swell, the fellowship sweet. That's what's going to help you and I abstain from all the fleshly lust and worldly. You know, that's what the disciples said to, to him, Lord. You know what he said? Teach us. Teach us to pray. Go back to First Peter or First uh, Timothy. That was our introduction, and now we'll look at the first of the list, is supplication. What is a supplication? It's a humble and earnest prayer. It's a request to fill a need. A supplication, it comes from the root word supply. It is an earnest and humble request, request to supply a need. That's a supplication. And it's not just a general, well, please help me, Lord. It's a specific, hey, Lord, please, please supply this specific need. We're praying for Robbie and his health conditions and his, his surgery come up. It's a specific need we're praying for. Uh, Charles, with his job, it was a, when we were praying for him and, and Eric with his job, um, you know, last year and, and all uh, or a year and a half ago, all of that is um, 
we might say, hey, let's go to prayer. But it, what, what that really is, it, is a, it's a supplication. It's a specific need. We're asking the Lord to supply. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God shall supply. And if it's, if it's his will to supply what we're praying for, praise the Lord. But that's a supplication. Next, it says prayers. That is a humble and earnest act of asking of God's favor. God, will you give favor? You're asking God's favor in prayer. It is fellowship and communion with God. Job said, my prayer is pure. How about you? The psalmist wrote, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Are your prayers pure? Do you cry out to the Lord like the psalmist wrote? Proverbs 15 says, the prayer of the upright is his delight. If your prayer is pure, if you're crying out to the Lord, it's going to be delightful to him. He also says in Proverbs 15, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Have you received God's imputed righteousness? Pure prayer, crying out to God. It's delightful to him. And he hears, he hears what we say. And we talked about that, I think, at Lord's Supper last Sunday, this past Sunday. It don't matter how many people are praying. The Lord hears his people pray. Go to Mark chapter 11, if you would. Mark chapter 11. Watch what it says in verse number 17. Jesus uh, is teaching and, he, and the Bible says, and he taught saying unto them, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of what? Prayer. But ye have made it what? A den of thieves. How do you move prayer out of the local church? I'll tell you, you move in Jehovah Java coffee shop is how you do it. You make it into a den of thieves. You make it into a money rack. You make it into selling swag. Caps and hats and, 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 and all this stuff. Merch. You make it into selling merch. You make it into trying to extract as much money as you can out of the saints. Come on. Prayer. Prayer. Well, somebody may be listening online, thinks we're against coffee. We're not. We have a very small gathering of believers. We have a kitchen downstairs. We have a coffee machine. And saints can come and make coffee anytime they want. So I, don't, I want you to understand what we're trying to say is that 
We have witnessing shirts. And we, you understand what I'm saying? Not against coffee, not against, but we're against trying to make the Lord's house into something that he never intended it to be. That's the danger. That's the caution. Because when we move in that direction, prayer's out. They're not going to think about it. What defiled the temple was greed and the love of money. I have been in churches where it seems like there are some people that are there only for the business opportunities. Because the bigwigs go there. The influencers of the town go there. Please. I think you understand. If we go down that road, we're going to have to sacrifice prayer. And I don't want to do that. And I know you don't want to. And if we don't teach on this, but if we don't preach on this, guess what will happen? We will end up going down that road. We must teach it. We must preach it. We must teach all the counsel of God so that myself and yourself and us selves don't go down the wrong road. Next, we have intercession. Intercession. An intercession is a prayer or a request that pleads for another. Typically, it's in the view of reconciliation or salvation. Uh, someone leaves or there's a tiff between brother A and brother B. Those prayers, we might say, hey, let's pray about this matter. Those, those prayers are specifically intercessions. We are praying for the Lord. We are praying for the Lord to intercede on that. We're pleading on behalf of someone else. There, we have salvation requests. Those are intercessions. The Bible says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to what? Make intercession, that's right, for them. Christ pleads for us on the merit of what he did. And we are asked to intercede on behalf of others. We're praying for you know, our salvation request. That is an intercession. We're praying on their behalf. They're not believers, but we are. So we're going to intercede in prayer. And it's not on the basis of our merit. We all understand it's what's on the merit of the person who we are praying to, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 8, don't turn there. Uh, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit. Why? Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, we already preached through that in Romans 8. We talked about. Um, all the intercession that's happening, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That verse we just read is how the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Intercession is vitally important. And it's not just our triune God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, doing it on our behalf. But it is also the saints who will make intercessions on behalf of a lost person. 
on behalf of a situation where there's a problem and we were praying for a uh, reconciliation. All right, last one we'll look at is giving of thanks and go to Psalms 95. Psalms 95. Psalms 95. Giving of thanks is a humble and earnest expression of gratitude toward our Lord. A humble and earnest expression of gratitude to our Lord. Psalms 95. Come, let us sing our Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence, how? With thanksgiving. And make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. A lot of the psalms are just that. It's how we should come before his presence with thanksgiving. You know, Sunday morning, it seems like the preaching goes better when the praying starts off good. And it seems like the singing goes better when the praying starts off good. You know, it seems like the praying starts off good when we come in here with hearts full of gratitude toward our God. And that's the way it should be. Matter of fact, Psalms 100 will give us uh, some more truth of that importance. Psalms 100, look at verse 4. Bible says, enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. And bless his name. How are you entering into the church house? How are we coming through those doors? How are you entering into your prayer closet? Just take a step back. If it's not with thanksgiving. There's some practical application here. Sunday morning, if you're walking in and you've got a heart full of complaints and you've got a heart full of murmuring and you've got a heart full of grumbling, it's better to walk in, close, and then walk out. Go back into your car, get right, and come back in with some thankfulness. That'll make your singing better, your praying better, the preaching better, the fellowship better. It's hard when you don't have a heart full of thankfulness. Psalms 147. Psalms 147. Bible says, Sing of the Lord. Psalms 147, verse 7. Sing of the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. It's great to stand, open up the hymnal, but if your heart isn't full of thanksgiving, you're going to get through the hymn, but it's not going to be as sweet as it could be. Have a heart full of gratitude. That's giving of thanks. Your heart giving thanks and showing an expression of gratitude toward the Lord is a form of prayer and communion with, with God. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at four quick verses. And then we'll close out. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter number 4. 
Bible says in verse number six, it is Philippians four, verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. If you're asking God to supply a need, if you're praying and asking for God's favor on something, please let your request be filled with thanksgiving. Colossians 2, verse number 7. Colossians 2, verse 7. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with what? Thanksgiving. What is that? An expression earnestly toward God, showing your gratitude. That's the Christian life. Is your life abounding in there? Come on, Christian. Is it? First Timothy 4. First Timothy 4. Verse number, verse number three, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received. You know, people telling you you can't eat this, can't eat that. Well, God created it, you can eat it, you can receive it. But there is a condition to be received with what? Thanksgiving of them which Believe and know the truth. Have you ever noticed that food prices have gone up? They have. We had breakfast the other week. Man, why is it so much? Oh, yeah, you got the you got the side of the ham. It's the, all the meat going up. Food stuff's going up. You would think more people would bow their head and thank the Lord for the food that they have as the, as the prices go up, but they don't even do that. It's almost like, yeah, just, well, we'll just have unlimited money. I mean, you know, the government will print me some more or just, you know, drop it in my account or something. But look, if have you believed? We, we have. It is not right for us to take food and eat it. Without giving God thanks. It's not right to do. For believers, God says, don't do. He said, okay, you, you have a biblical right to ask someone to abstain from meats. If they don't pray, <laughs> that's the right. If you don't want to give thanks, then don't eat it. God says, if you believe, give, receive it with thanks. Any kids pick up a fork, try to put food, put that fork down. Give thanks to God. Grandkids picking up a spoon, trying to eat their cereal without giving thanks. Put knock that spoon out of their hand and make sure they give thanks to God. Here's the definition right from the Bible. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Verse number 15. What is the giving of thanks? Watch this. Hebrews 13, verse 15. You'll want to know this verse. Hebrews 13, verse 15. What is, what is giving of thanks? 
Watch what it says. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's thanksgiving. It's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's giving of thanks. That's thanksgiving. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Praise the Lord. What a beautiful passage of scripture. All right, we'll finish where we started. Go to 1 Timothy. Got one little phrase left at the end of the verse. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. Now it says, be made for all men. It doesn't say be made for elect men. Because this is clearly a reference to who? All men. Does this mean just the elect? It doesn't mean just the elect. Because if it did, why would I pray for the non-elect if they're not elect? It's all men. Now we're going to get into that more in verse 2. That'll make more sense. But people say, well, because when you look at verse 4, it says, who will have all men to be saved? And so they say, well, see, well, in the context of verse 1, all means all. Okay. But when you get to verse 4, they'll say, well, the context of verse 4, they'll say, well, all really doesn't mean all. It means just the elect. Because, well, they don't like to just read and believe the Bible. They like to. No. Why in the world would, he, would all mean elect in verse 4 and it would mean something different in verse 1? Be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. The context for all is the same in verses number 1, 2, and 4. There's no reason to change them or apply a different context to verse 4. You pray for all, verse 2, all in authority, verse number 4, all men to be saved. That does not mean universal salvation. It means that is our prayer. That is God's desire. That is what he wants. That doesn't mean we're teaching universal salvation where everybody gets saved, folks. Everybody doesn't get saved. That doesn't mean we don't pray for all and witness to all and it doesn't mean that god is not willing to save all he is all means all in verse one in verse two and in verse three. thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of pilgrim baptist church we look forward to seeing you in the next episode in the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.